This is Living Faith, the podcast ministry of First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. We are located at 100 North Lake Avenue. Our Sunday morning services start at 1045 a.m. Sunday school is at 930 a.m. You can find out more information about First Baptist Church at fbcap.net. This message is part of a series entitled Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. Bible, if you have your copy of God's Word with you, and I want to encourage you each and every week to bring your Bible with you. We are walking through the Gospel of John, the, the idea of, of look and live. Thank you, Joy and Choir, for look and live. I have been humming that song for two months now, and so I think Joy was tired of hearing me hum it improperly, and so she wanted to sing, get it sung correctly. Uh, that is a song not in a lot of our Baptist hymnals, uh, but it is a song talking about experiencing and seeing Christ uh, and knowing that uh, you can receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. In the Gospel of John, you remember that he wrote these things that we might know that we have uh, eternal life. Well, I want to draw your attention to John chapter 1. We're going to begin looking there in verses 14 and through 18. Uh, originally, when I when I set out to go through the Gospel of John, I kind of uh, penciled an outline, and I said, "Well, I'll uh, because it is a, a longer book." And I said, "Well, it, it would take me so long to preach through the entire Gospel. I'll take a, a broad stroke of it." So, uh, three or four weeks ago, I was going to preach John one one through eighteen in one sermon, and you might remember I only got a couple of verses into it, uh, and then I realized, why do I need to rush through it? Uh, how in the world and why would I want to rush through uh, such wonderful teachings about Jesus Christ and what the gospel means to us? This week was one of those weeks. You just I, I knew that it meant I had to get my hanky when I got out here. This week is just one of those weeks as you study that you are constantly confronted with the love of God. You, you look at the world that you live in and you see us for who we are. Have you ever just stood in the mirror and just say, why in the world am I even a believer? Have you ever thought about your salvation that way? What in the world did God see in me? I, I do that a lot with a lot of things in my life. I know that was the biggest, I guess, hurdle when, when I knew God was calling me to preach. Why in the world would God call me to be a pastor? And so we've been looking on Sunday nights of key words. I just kind of took a book and took the table of, table of contents and, 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 and followed the table of contents of key words in the Christian faith. And so I've just been following the table of contents to guide my study. We've been looking over the last several weeks, the dynamics of salvation. And, and, uh, and, and next, next word when we get there is, is uncovering and, and unpacking all the aspects of salvation, justification, sanctification, glorification, regeneration. And the key word tonight will be election. And election is one of those words where when you're studying about how we came to know Christ and we're studying about what does it mean that we are a believer and you throw in 1 John 14 and 18, you can't help but realize the awesome and wonderful love that God has for us. We sang just a few moments ago and, and, and it just is encouraging. I stand before a mighty God alone. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that all that God has done for us so that we may know him through his son, Jesus Christ? 
You know, if nothing else today, I hope that we can just slow down and embrace who God is in our life and really what the love of God is all about. So take your Bible, John chapter 1, verse 14. You could look at verses 14 through 18 as kind of a, a summary uh, of the prologue, the whole section. You remember in verse 1, it talks about that Jesus is the eternal word from the beginning. And then we looked at that Jesus came as a light of the world. And so the word was in the beginning. The word came as a light to the world to overcome darkness. Verses 14 and 18 tell us how that came to be. How did the eternal word become the word of light? Beginning there in verse 14, this is how it happened. And the word became flesh and he dwelt among us now just he left the throne of glory for us we long to get there he left there for us and he dwelt among us and we have seen his glory the glory is the only son from the father full of grace and truth. I think John in his writing, even though he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, I think John wanted to throw in verse 15, even though he just talked about it, just to remind him. John bore witness about him, and he cried out, this was of whom I said, who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, Upon grace, upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, but yet He has made Him known. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank You that You love us. We thank you that you loved us so much that you saw our need and that you provided that remedy of redemption. We thank you that you love us so much that you sent your son that we can believe, that we can receive And that we can follow after Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for worship. We thank you for corporate worship. We thank you for the body. We thank you for your presence this morning. Remove all the worries and the distractions and the despairs of the day. And let us get real with you this morning. Let us get real in regards of where we stand in our relationship with you. And this we humbly, we pray and ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the love of God is just one of those things, can you explain it? You know, they, we talk about the, the love of a parent. I know what that looks like. And we talk about the, the love of a grandparent is different. I don't know what that looks like but I can imagine. What does the love of God look like? 
as Christians, I think there's things in the Christian faith that just, it's almost like we don't mean to, but it's the longer that we're a Christian, the easier it is we forget we're a Christian. We don't mean to take it for granted, but it's like we take it for granted. Well, I, I just grew up going to church, and, and I heard about Christ, and I, I came to know the Lord, and I love Jesus, and I love the church, and I, I, I'm living the Christian life. But I think if we're, if we're not careful, we forget what it means to be a Christian. Sometimes you see it in adults that have not grown up in church and been around the gospel. And you ever notice how just liberating Christ is to them? How they just can't even comprehend that God would love them so much. That, that, so you're telling me that God loved me this much that he sent Christ and I can have forgiveness of sin and I can be a believer. And we say yes. But I think that so many of us, we forget about the love of God. John 3.16 is one of the first verses that we ever really pay attention to. It's simple. For God so loved the world. I know our world's kind of messed up. Would you be, you know, it's kind of like I tell people, um, I'll be the first to admit that we as Christians aren't where we need to be. Be like somebody talking about your family. You know your family's messed up, but just don't talk about my messed up family. We get kind of sensitive. I know the world's messed up, but it's still God's creation. I know that we are depraved and and sinful, and, and without the grace and mercy, we would never even comprehend the need for the gospel. But as believers, we need to never forget the love that God has for his world. And the greatest portrait and picture and radiance of his glory of that is Jesus Christ. First, I'd like us to look at those first few verses. Really the first verse, John 14. His love displayed. Notice there in verse 14, verse verse 14 beginning there, I call it A, just the first part of, of 14. And the word became Flesh. So the word was in heaven. The word was God. Logos, that word, it meant to the, to the Greek culture, all that matters, reason and truth and, and, and information, all that means something in the Greek philosophical world. When John used that word on the inspiration of God, it was, he was talking to the Greek and he was saying, all that matters, anything that matters, all of life, the word was in the beginning. The Jewish audience knew that that word logos meant all that God had said, his laws and his commandments and his precepts, everything that God stands for and everything that God is. And so when John was preaching, he was hitting everybody. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Everything that human life is even appearing to go after, logic, philosophical, everything is found in the Word. And it says in verse 14, and the word became flesh. I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by prophets. 
But in these days, and so God has always been a God that has spoken to his people. God has always been a God that you could say that has a voice. And he spoke through the prophets. He spoke uh, uh, through messages. He's always been a God that has spoken. In the beginning, he created the world. He spoke it into being. We had, you can go through the Old Testament. We have judges and we have prophets and we have kings. God was always speaking. There was always somebody there that said, thus saith the Lord. There was silence. If you just look chronologically at the end of Malachi, there was silence between the Old and the New Testament. 400 years of silence. Literally, God had not spoken authoritatively like through the mouth of a prophet. God had not spoken. And then Jesus came. And he spoke to our fathers by the prophet. But in these days, he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through him, he also created the world. Keep your finger there and mark Hebrew, uh, Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to come back to that. And so the word became flesh. The, he sent his son. He became flesh. He was the word. He was that which spoke of God. And then we see here in Colossians chapter 2 verse 9. Beginning, and I'll read verse 6, Colossians 2, 6. Therefore, if you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So the plea is just receive Christ the Lord. Repent, place your faith in Christ, live for Christ. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. See, there's always been an attack on the, on the Christian church over the deity of Christ and biblical truth. There always will be attack. There's never going to be a day and age to where we have no enemy. So Paul was reminding the church in Colossae, receive Christ, walk in Christ, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ because they were who they were because of Christ. Verse 9, for in, in him, in who, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. If you want to see God, this is what Paul said, if you want to see God, it's Christ. His love on display is that he sent his son to us. He sent the word to us. Christ came to be a a propitiation for our sins. Christ came to do what we could not do. The Old Testament is just a reminder. We can't do it. There's not enough sacrifices. There's not enough rules. There's not enough law. We can never do it. Keep taking our sacrifices to the altar, but it's never going to appease the wrath of God totally. Christ came to pay the way of that problem. He came as a sacrifice. But he also came, and this is hard for us to understand. He also came in the man, God in the flesh, but he also came as a man. I believe we could also say he came to understand what it is to live this side of heaven. You ever thought about that? He wept. He was hungry. He was thirsty. I don't think he got as frustrated as I get. I mean, I don't think he was quite like some of us are. But he understood temptation. He stood before Satan, and he, he stood before Satan. Now, could he have fallen? I don't think so. He could have never never fallen to that temptation. 
But he stood before it, and what was his rebuke against Satan? The truth and the promises and the love of God and the word of God. And he defeated Satan with the truth of God. That's how we defeat the ugly one. So he sent his son for us to pay the penalty of our sin. He sent our son because as he mediates for us, he understands our concerns. He sent his son because he is a great example for us to how to live our life. You know, we make light of WWJD. You know, I've even made light of it. What would Jesus do? I would always, what did Jesus done? You know, what? But it's kind of simple, isn't it? If we just look at our life, what would you look how Jesus lived? What a great example of how we should live as Christians. Right? We struggle with things, we, we worry about things, but we forget God's love on display. He sent his son. We could give an invitation right now and I could say it this way. All we need is Jesus. If we're not satisfied with who Christ is, I will tell you right now, you're never going to be satisfied with anything. If we cannot look at the old rugged cross and understand what Christ did for our sin and we cannot receive that and embrace that and not find our total satisfaction in who Christ is, then something's wrong. We're not seeing ourselves for ourselves. We're not seeing Christ for Christ. He is enough. He sent his son. He doesn't need to do anything else. I think a lot of us live our lives. I'm guilty of it as a pastor. I think we live our life and we're trying to find that something else. We've been talking about evangelism and, and regeneration. A couple of Sunday nights ago, we were talking about, you know, the gospel and all that. I think sometimes as a preacher, I forget Jesus is enough. And I may be guilty of preparing a message or, or thinking about an invitation, thinking, well, okay, I know I, I know I got the gospel right, but I better make sure I get, you know, what I need to be seeker sensitive and friendly, and I better, I better be sure I say something right. And I'm just as guilty as you are. My friend, Jesus is enough. There's no other way we can take the gospel and make it any other way than it is. God so loved us, he sent his son. He didn't need to send anything else. He sent his son. He sent Christ to pay the way for our sin, to be an example for us so that he can be that perfect mediator to our father. The only thing that's going to fix this world is the gospel, and he sent his son. Until he comes again, we need to believe that and live that out and proclaim it. He is enough. His love on display. Notice what it says in verse 14 as well. He dwelt among us. Now, I love word study and looking at the word. And sometimes I think we can get a little bit too cute with things. But I don't think this is being cute. He dwelt among us. He, he made a tent among us. He tabernacled among us. Now, sometimes we're guilty of, of seeing a word in the New Testament and jumping to the Old Testament or vice versa and creating a connection that I don't know if God really intended to create. But I think this is a pretty good connection. When you think of a tabernacle, what do you think about? Think about the Old Testament. The tabernacle is a, is a temporary, temporary presence of God until the temple is fully built. See where I'm going? Jesus said, I came and built a tent among you. I'm not staying, and it's not permanent. 
but I'm amongst you. God sent his son amongst us. You ever have people, no names out loud, please. You ever have people just get on your nerves and there's nothing you can do about it? I mean, I think about that. I mean, you may, you may work with somebody. You may work with somebody and you just, they get on your nerves, but nothing, there's not one thing you can do about it. You got to work with them. I would say that, but y'all would tell Joy, Judy, or Matt I said that, so I can't say that. And you think about how frustrating that is, being around people, you yeah, he's God, and he came and hang out with us. Do you get that? He left heaven and came here. He built a tent, and he lived, and he was beaten, and he was crucified for us. He left the Father to die on a cross for us. That's love right there. His love displayed, he sent his son. Secondly, his love displayed to reveal his glory. And we have seen his glory as the glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Now, if you think back to the beginning, everything was great. Why not everything was great? That old mango, as Lawler says, you have to come to the Tuesday Bible study. Lawler promises us that when we get to heaven, now I'm not saying he's seen some part of heaven that we haven't, but Lawler thinks the forbidden fruit is a mango. It can be a mango, I don't care, that's fine. So all because of that mango, one, well, gosh, it's so funny because we say, well, that doesn't just make any sense. Why in the world would one little sin cause all of that? What is one little sin compared to total holiness and perfection? So we look at one little mango and we, we, we throw it out at us. Well, that's not that big a deal. I mean, all he just said, don't eat this, but they did eat that. But compare it to the righteousness and the holiness and the, and the, and the, the sovereignty of God. He is perfect. And he created us to have that relationship with him. But then sin came. Now, did God know that was going to happen? Exactly. If, they, if he didn't know that would happen, he wouldn't have created the Trinity at the same time. They wouldn't all be together. Us, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God. So in the, the confines of a, a wonderful God in the Trinity, all this was to happen. He sends his Son so that we can receive him and have that fellowship restored before the Father. Could you imagine the glories of heaven when we get to heaven where there's no more sin and no more despair, and we just, you know, and I get struggled with that because here's here's a good example. This doesn't mean anything to you because you're here. Do you know how it just gets, grates me when somebody says they don't enjoy worship? 
I don't like the Bible being preached. I don't like songs being sung. I don't like, you know, I know what they say. Well, it doesn't, that didn't move me or that didn't do the, I get it. I do get it. Nothing, you know, we don't, doesn't need to be boring. I get that. Do you know why I go to church? Do you know why I've always gone to church once I gave my life to Christ? Because I get to worship God there. I go to church. Yes, we sing. Yes, I like certain types of songs. Yes, I like certain type of, of preaching styles. Even biblical preaching, there's different style to it. I get that. I do get that. I get that we can have big churches and we can have small churches. I get that. I don't come to church. My number one reason to coming to church is not because of you. It's because of him. He sent his son so that we could see the glory of the Father. He sent his son, if you look at that verse, it said, and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory as glory is the only son from the father. He came and he sent Christ to make himself known. We see Christ, we see God. When we see Christ, we, we see who God is and his love and his mercy and his grace. When we see the gospel, we see God. He sent his son and, to reveal his glory. Back to Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the the magnitude, the display of the glory of God and His goodness, His grace, His righteousness. And He is the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. That is Christ. God loved us so much that His love is on display that He sent His Son so we may understand the Father. There's so many times as I'm reading scripture and I'm listening to preaching and teaching as I'm singing good biblical songs of worship and praise that I just kind of get called up. I call it like a, a Baptist. We need to be careful with this. But I get these little Holy Ghost bumps on me and I just want to say, yes. I mean, some of the songs theologically are not. I, I wish I wish we could be not as afraid to put some good theology in our music. and but But yet... Yes. He is our Father. And He loves us. When we see Christ, we see Him. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He is one of a kind. He he is that one thing that we'll never be able to live without until we embrace who Christ is. We look for peace. We look direction. We look for for love. And and I know some of us may struggle with self-esteem. And we talk about, well, if I could just have this and I could just have this. Listen, Jesus Christ is the radiance of the glory of the Father. There's nothing else we need from our Creator except for Jesus Christ. And he literally has loved us. His love is on display in that manner. He said, listen, I love you. I sent my son to you. And he is the radiance of my glory. Christ is. And he is full of, notice what he is full of, grace and truth. There is no other. 
There's no need for no other. Everything we need is found in who we are in Christ, and it's full of grace. I love that word grace. We don't deserve a lot of stuff that we have. That's grace. Jesus Christ didn't deserve to come and die on a cross for our sin, but that is grace that the Father loved us so much that he allowed. Secondly, his love received. So this is what God the Father has done because he loved us. And I love beginning here in verse 15. The love received. What are we going to do with the love of God? Are we just going to sing about it and talk about it and believe in it? Or are we going to do something with the love of God? We know that God's love is on display through Jesus Christ. And that's the great thing about the gospel. Every one of us must do something with Christ. The whole world must do something with Christ. We either love him and adore him and follow after him or we reject him. There's no in-between with Christ. Well, I'm kind of thinking about, no, you're rejecting him. You either love him and you have obeyed him, you've repented of your sin and placed your faith in him, or you're rejecting him. Everybody has to do something with Christ. And I love John the Baptist. I don't know why I've always been partial to John the Baptist. He's like me, I guess. We need to receive the love of God. Notice John the Baptist. I love verse 15. Remember, John came and he was saying, Repent, you brood of vipers. Repent, you old law-following people. Repent, because the kingdom of God is at hand. Get right, get ready, because the Messiah is coming. He was, old, he was preaching Old Testament. Get right, repent, repent, repent. And this is what he's saying. Repent, because he's about to be here. The one you're looking for, the one with the answer, the Messiah, the promised one, the Evangelion in Genesis chapter 3, he's on the way. And John says, John bore witness about him and he cried out. Now, he, you know what cried out means? He cried out. Anybody dressed the way he dressed can cry out. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he is before me. And this is what John the Baptist was saying. We need to acknowledge who Christ is. To receive the love of God that he has sent and revealed to us, we need to understand this. We need to acknowledge the lordship of Christ. Who is Christ? He is not an option. He is not a a religious figure. He is not one of several. He is Christ. And he loved us and he died on the cross for us and he came to give us life and give us life more abundantly and he's got a, a purpose for our life and a plan in our life. He is Lord. He created. He sustains. He holds all things together. John the Baptist got it. I wonder if we get it. I mean, what if we had a little John the Baptist revival break out at work and we just started going to church and acting like John the Baptist? This is him who ranks before all. It is Christ. You know, I think that's what happens in our life. It's almost a salvific thing. Again, talking about regeneration, election, and sanctification, all the things that are coming up on Sunday night. Salvation takes place when you go, I get it. 
You know, I was going to church my whole life, and I was sitting up in the balcony when I got saved. And somebody said, well, how do you know that's when you got saved? I got it. I know who Christ is. I know why I need Christ. I don't mean to be sarcastic and ugly, and this may not pertain to you, but I've got a lot of folks I've pastored over years. They hadn't got it yet. That was not a good point for Christ. That's when you ought to say, amen, preacher. Say, preach it, pastor. Preacher, maybe if we go visit them a hundred times and give them all this stuff and don't be mean to them and don't preach long, maybe they'll come to church. Maybe they just need to be born again and then they'd want to come to church. I feel so much better now. You have to be careful and make sure your heart's right when you say things like that. But gosh, what a burden to bear. We try to, it's like we try to make Christ into something everybody will want and like. And, you know, like let's just make Jesus. Who do you want Christ to be for you? And you can just have Christ and he can be Christ to you. And he can, no, John the Baptist said, this is him. And he's coming to live a sinless life. And he's coming to be beaten and hung on a cross. He's coming to die on that cross and be placed in a tomb. And he's coming to rise again. And he's coming to come back. That's Christ. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Forsake everything and I will make you fishers of men. Are you sure you want to follow me? Good gracious, if we would acknowledge his lordship in our life, think how much different our life would be. Again, we do something with Christ. He is Lord of our life or he is not Lord of our life. To receive the love of God, we have to first acknowledge his lordship. Secondly and last, to receive the love of God that he has sent us, we embrace, and here's where it gets good, we embrace his grace. I'm excited about tonight. It's a very controversial word. You know who's made it controversial? We have. God saving folks is not confrontation, confusing. I mean, you think about it. Why do we, we just, oh, we get so bit out of shape. I had a pastor tell me, don't ever preach on election if you want to stay in a church a long time. Oh, that'd be what I want to tell Jesus when I get before him. I just took a highlighter and took a major theological word, and I never want to talk about it. I tell you the key word to understand election. You ready for this? Grace. God sends it. I got to respond to it. Isn't that simple? We don't even have to do election tonight, do we? From the beginning, God has had a plan, and that plan was Jesus Christ. And that plan was grace. That he was going to do something for us that we could never do ourselves. We can't save ourselves. Christ's death on the cross will make salvation possible. As many as received him, John 1, 12, as many as received him, he is given the right to become children of God. See, we have to do something with the love of God. We have to receive it. We have to embrace the gift of grace. Notice what it says in verse 16 and 18. And from his fullness, we have all, I love that word fullness. Can you imagine trying to explain 
from his fullness, from God's fullness, from God's overflowing love and redemption. It's just the fullness. You want to see the, the fullness of grace. Try to Google image the fullness of grace on God. You can't. The fullness of God and his grace. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace upon grace. There's two ways you could look at that. One way, and it kind of alludes to that next verse, like the grace of the Old Testament, but this is the grace of the New Testament, the old from the new. So you could look at it redemptively in Scripture, grace upon grace upon grace, uh, the progressive revelation of the of the gospel and how it takes place. Yes, that's kind of what it means, that the grace of the Old Testament is not enough, but it's grace upon grace. But you can also understand this, so much grace you don't know what to do with it. Grace upon grace. I want to ask you a question. I was challenged by this many years ago. When is the last time you wept over your salvation? I heard a wife of a a college professor say that she was having her quiet time one morning and she was reading the scripture. I don't remember what the scripture was. And she said, the grace and the love and the mercy of God hit me so strong, I rolled out of bed and started weeping. And I remember sitting there thinking, I'm in college going to be a pastor and I have never done that. When's the last time we've wept over grace? Maybe some of us have been like me. You've been saved a long time. There was something you did years ago, and praise the Lord, and you've been church your whole life, and you may, you just really have it, you know, you just, you just, you've been a faithful Christian for many years, and that's just what you do. But you know what? Grace should still make us weep. That God loved us so much that he sent his son. And that love needs to be received. We need nothing else. We have to receive that love as we acknowledge Christ and his lordship. We need nothing else. Christ is enough. We receive this love as we embrace his gift of grace. His grace is enough. Sometimes I'm letting you in the life of a pastor, okay? I'm going to be very transparent for a minute. We, we proclaim the gospel and somebody makes a decision. And then as a pastor, we sit there and think, okay, what type of, of new member class can we have to get people connected? And how can we connect them from a new member class to that small group? And how can we get them from that small group to serving into the body life of the church? Because if we don't get them serving in the body life of the church, they may not be engaged anymore. We may lose them. And so then we've got to get them body life of the church. And then we've got to figure out how to get them to begin to invest their life into other people. So as they're doing ministry, they're living ministry and that would take 40 plus hours a week of my time you know there are days I just want to stand up here and scream out Jesus is enough grace is enough if we're not careful we're trying to find all these things to do in our life to make there have been times I've walked in a Christian bookstore and you know you walk in the Christian bookstore and you just think if I could just find that one book that would help me I understand the principle behind that, and I've done that. Listen, Jesus is enough. Grace is enough. If you get Jesus right, you get his grace right, everything's going to take care of itself because he's going to put you in a good Bible-believing church. You're going to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit and be in that church, and you're going to love the Bible, and you're going to love prayer, and you're going to love serving, and you're going to wear out your pastor always worried about how you can serve Jesus better. 
Because if you get Jesus right and grace right, that's what happens. It says his fullness. We all receive grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Christ. What did Jesus say in John 14, 6? I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except, I'm it. Jesus, I'm it. You want grace and truth? It's Jesus. You want grace and truth? It's the gospel. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The love of God. He displayed it when he sent his son and he revealed his glory. The gospel. What have we done with that? Have we received Jesus Christ for who he is, my Redeemer, my Savior, my Lord? Have we looked at Christ and the glory of the Father and said, Father, I repent of my sin and I place my faith in you. Your grace is enough. Your truth is enough. Jesus, you are enough. You are Lord. And as we embrace that gift of grace, we follow Christ humbly, obediently, and willingly. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word came to be the light of the world. He does love, and He has sent His love. Have you received it? Let's stand as we pray. Lord God, we thank you for your love for us. We are so undeserving. Lord, we thank you that from the very beginning you had a plan in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray this morning that we do not leave this building unless we know that we have done that which we need to do with Jesus. Lord, help us to see that we know you, that we love you, that we're following after you, that we've come to you, that we believed in you, that we are following after you. Thank you for doing for us what we could not do for ourselves when you sent Jesus. And this we pray in his name. Amen.